Welcome back everybody to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with our podcast, then you know that we've been reviewing the series two episodes at a time every episode. And today's episode brings us to Legend of Korra episode uh, well, I should clarify, it's Season 2, Episode 3, <laughs> Civil Wars, Part 1. That's a lot of numbers to keep track of. It is. <laughs> it's not easy to say. Uh, the credits for this episode, it's written by Michael Dante DiMartino, and it's directed by Colin Heck. Uh, have you seen Colin's uh, directing before? Did yeah, didn't he do like he the, do last the last episode, one? I believe? Okay, I would say his name sounded familiar. I, think I know so. I know there's gonna be some like repeated names, but now that it's not the same people over and over again, like in season one, I'm like really starting to try to keep track of uh of who right. he had. Um also interesting that Michael Dante DiMartino is back in the driver's seat for this two parter, um, because the last two episodes, if I recall, uh were written by uh Joshua Hamilton and um who's the other one was it tim hedrick i yes it was yeah from from previous uh from how was it previously on avatar <laughs> yeah, previously on avatar. so it's interesting it's interesting that michael dante di martino's writing is back and i gotta tell you this is a little commentary you know mm-hmm season one went by and when we saw what an entire season was like when you know the creators were at the helm mm -hmm. and then we got the last two episodes here of legend of korra and they were not they were old writers from avatar back in the driver's seat mm -hmm. and i gotta tell you quite candidly I think we've figured out of the two creators who's writing is kind of dry. Oh, really? Like because I find the writing in these episodes kind of dry for my taste, and I was wondering that because. Really? So, and I'll elaborate on it more as we go through the episodes. But it's interesting because it gave mm -hmm. me real big season one vibes again, and I was like, it's so funny because a lot of their episodes are written together. Um, uh, Kinetsko and DiMartino. They mm -hmm. co-write a lot of episodes, so it's kind of hard when they're doing that to determine like who's writing is contributing what because they have a very particular tone to to what they write. Right. But yeah, but I don't know. I, I'll I'll elaborate more on it as as we go over them. But I really feel like validated that I'm like there's something I'm picking up in it, and I don't know who's responsible <laughs> for this, but it's definitely DiMartino now that I know. <laughs> all right well uh, interesting uh it's animated by studio perot and the episode aired on september 20th. wow brutal <laughs> it's not great most of the time i know that they're going to bring it back but it's just you know and the yeah it's yeah that's fair <laughs> and, and the episode aired september 20th 2013 the imdb rating of civil wars part one is a robust 7.5 out of 10. take us away with the old fun facts amanda 
All right. So for our fun, we actually have a couple for this for these two episodes, which I was surprised by. Um, so for our first fun fact, this episode title is a double entendre regarding both the Water Tribe Civil War and the divide between Tenzin and his family. That that didn't even occur to me until I read the fun fact. I was like, oh yeah, that's true. Like that's that's why because I was wondering why it's called Civil Wars with an S at the end. I was like, that seems kind of weird. But then when you put it like that, I'm like, oh yeah, there is a divide between not only the North and the yeah. South Poles, but the but the family members yeah. as well. Um, so I, I like that. Yeah. Um, Did not occur to me. Right. Um, and then <laughs> this is just a funny one. When acting out Desna and Eska's chortling, uh, Aaron Himmelstein and Aubrey Plaza, who plays uh, Eska, uh, their directions from the script was simply weird, bizarre laughter. <laughs> <laughs> it was very weird and bizarre. <laughs> Although I will say, I remember watching this episode with my friends when it first premiered on TV and we died laughing. Like it was so random and so just out there. I was like, what did we just watch? <laughs> like, what was that? So it worked. It was weird. Um, See, okay, real quick interjection. Uh -huh. That's the stuff that's saving season two for me so far. <clears throat> That's the stuff that's saving season two for me so far, because as I said, I'm finding the writing dry. <clears throat> and so it's the funny, weird, random stuff like that, that mm -hmm. like is keeping me coming along for the ride. Right, exactly. Um, our third fun fact is that the creators wanted to have a larger riot between the Southern Water Tribe citizenry. That's a weird word. And uh, citizens and the Northern Water Tribe soldiers comparing or compared to the smaller incidents depicted in the episode, but were unable to given the limitations on the show's production. Hmm. Fuck you, Nickelodeon. <laughs> like, you're going to hear so much about this that, like, they wanted to do these big grand things. They wanted to have this epic scale, but they couldn't because either the budget didn't allow it, the animators couldn't do it, like Studio Perot, or Nick said, no, you can't do that. And so this whole season was just hindered by that, and I hate it. <laughs> I don't hate the season. Whole I just season hate that it was cuffed. Literally, they're like, you know what? Nah, you can't do that. Sorry, budget doesn't allow it. Um, so yeah, you'll hear a lot about that. those even later in the next episode. Um, and our fourth and final fun fact is that the moment where Kaya and Tenzin descend off the cliff using their bending came from a network or the network asking Michael Dante DiMartino to include more bending in the episode with DiMartino enjoying the opportunity to show more non-martial examples of bending. That was actually a note that I think works because like it is fun to just see benders not use their bending solely for fighting, but just for surviving, living, doing daily tasks. Like I love seeing that. Yeah, same. Me too. And I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like sometimes, depending on who is writing or directing or whoever's in charge of it, I feel like it really is a creative choice where sometimes it really does feel like the bending is used only for fighting, but there's so much fighting that like, it doesn't really get noticed. Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't register. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so that that's the last of the fun facts. So I'm really curious now that you that, that you give us a bit of a sneak peek because <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie, I actually really liked these two episodes much more than I remember liking them when it first came out. Oh, Maya! Well, when you told when you told me that the series was gonna be divisive, then you were not getting because we are gonna have very different impressions of these episodes. Oh yeah, I'm excited. So. 
Uh, don't, so, so first of all, let me start off on a real positive note. Varric's back, and he's a gift. Yeah, Varric is just like the gift of season two. He's so good. Giving. He's so it's funny. The best. Oh my god. <laughs> his whole antics with like, I love these kale cookies. By the way, we have to get the recipe for this. Right, and the fact that oh my god, the running joke in that whole scene with him, like when he's going off at all the minute the uh, Cora's house, like the fact that he keeps breaking plates. It's such a funny little background thing, like. He has these plate of cookies and he keeps breaking it to make a point, and it's the funniest <laughs> shit. I love Eric. Oh my god, it's so good, so funny. He's amazing. He, again, and see, and that's what I mean. So let me let me jump in with that because that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And 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 I feel like I need to kind of articulate something about the show to explain myself better than being like, oh, the writing's really dry. Because that can mean a lot of things. Avatar had real, built-in, light-hearted, kid fun in it. The characters were kids. Mm -hmm. They were just off romping around having a good time. And their antics were very natural. The chemistry of Team Avatar in, in, in you know the gang in, in the very first uh the first i would say the first season but now i mean the first the show first show yeah <laughs> yeah the first series um was kind of built in like there was always fun antics and things keep staying animated and the group and i feel like this is really important the core group of characters had so much like funny banter just built into it with you know Sokka and Katara and Aang and like and then Toph eventually mm -hmm. and then eventually Zuko and you mm -hmm. had these clash of personalities that are so different from each other so <laughs> ironic I'd say this about the animated series but so cartoonishly different in their own ways that it really sparked a lot of there was a lot of variety but in Legend of Korra, with a lot of politics and a lot of, like, or here's Korra getting manipulated yet again by another, like, charismatic leader or being pushed around by another political leader. Here's another courtroom scene. Here's another council meeting. Like, there's a lot of the large political world-building stuff. Mm -hmm. And I emphasize that I noted about DiMartino's writing because remember what I said in hindsight about season one was that what happened to all the character development? Why was there no character development really in season one of Legend of Korra? It told an amazing overarching world story. It built an amazing mm -hmm. world and it depicted this large struggle between the benders and the non-benders in the form of Korra and um, Aman almost as figureheads of the struggle. But in the end, we didn't really humanize a lot of the characters really deeply. And here we are again, once again, with, yeah, sure, we take time for the siblings, and that's a good part of the episode, but so much of the overarching story is like this giant scale mm -hmm. of, like, there's going to be a war, there's a, you know, a civil war, and there's, just like in season one, there's revolution, and it's all these big political things happening that the individual struggles are so, like, like, Korra has nothing to do, really, in these episodes, but run around outraged or crying into rooms. Mm -hmm. Like, up until the very end of the next episode, 
again, I'm kind of just like, she needs something better to do than just be witness for the audience to like witness these big political things happening right. constantly with her hands tied behind her back. They're telling the story, but like, I've, we're all just kind of watching this political stuff like unfold and it's just, okay. All right. Okay. All right. I get it. You know? And I find it very dry. I find it dry. Like people complain about the politics and the prequels. I just, I find it very dry. It's very, in, it's very impersonal. Oh yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a totally fair assessment. Like, I think that's how most people feel about season two. Um, and some people even feel that way about season one. I certainly don't, but I totally get it. And I do agree that, you know, like, I'm just kind of looking back through the episode now in my head, like, yeah, there is a lot of sitting around and talking, plotting, scheming, all that fun stuff. And not a ton of like, I don't want to say that there's no character development because actually that's one of my high points of the episode is, or, you know, this first episode is the ending scene, which we'll get to. But, um, you know, I, I do think that you're not wrong in that for the characters, at least, you know, we've got this big story, but it kind of forgets to do characters. <laughs> and if it does do characters, then it's like, it's, and I'm, I'm talking mostly about the core the gang the core uh you know crew avatar whatever because i feel like yes. the secondary characters are done so much better for some reason character wise like humor wise like every the core character group in this season and i'm just saying this season is so bland for the most part like there's just nothing of substance going on um that gets ratified in the next two seasons i promise but in this season yeah they're kind of yeah. boring and you know, when they're not boring, they're infuriating. And you're like, what? I don't want to feel this way about the main characters. Um, but the secondary <laughs> right. characters, you know, Penzin, Kaya, Boomy, Varric. Oh, my God. They're Eska, Desna. They're so much more fun <laughs> to watch. And so I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. Why are the main characters the most boring characters in the show? Like I said, they're just kind of vehicles for, like, the audience to be a part of witnessing these things happening. But they themselves... You could replace Korra in most scenes with any other character and like exchange her. And it it like it almost doesn't even matter that she's the avatar. She could be anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that that's totally fair. And I do agree with that. But here's the thing for me and why I like these two episodes. Um I I like the political discussions. I like the more adult um you know instead of fighting a villain of the week it's more scheming and politics and like it's very it's like game of thrones light and i love game of thrones despite the final season so you know i'm all about characters sitting around and being shady and talking and plotting and i'm like i like that stuff so i while it's not as well done obviously as something like game of thrones i still feel like it's interesting enough that i'm like oh i wonder what's gonna happen like is the plan gonna work out like <laughs> you know the civil war coming up like Varric's in on all this like trying to play both sides like I love that stuff so you know I I I really enjoyed these two episodes um but I don't know do you how do you want to because these two episodes are basically one episode broken up because it is a two-parter um so do you just want to kind of yeah. go through this first half like normal or 
because I, I don't know how you want to uh, approach let's, let's it. Still treat, let's let's still treat them. Let's still treat them like they're <clears throat> like they're two episodes. But I mean, like we'll certainly be commenting. You know, we'll our our commentary on certain threads will probably step back and forth between the two episodes. We'll just break part of the way through, and like when we gotcha. reach the end of the story in the first in part one, we'll just break and give our ratings. Okay. So probably a good way to do it. Yeah. So so we have we have two major plot points. We have of course uh Iki disappearing. Mm -hmm. And Iki disappearing is the reason why uh Tenzin, Bumi, and is it Ka Kaya? Yeah, Kaya. What's her what's yeah, Kaya, okay. I'm really, really trying hard with the characters' names. I'm like practically writing them on my <laughs> hands during the episodes to like remember. I, like right. I'm cheating on a test. Um so Kaya, Bumi, and Tenzin all go off together. And it was for me as the instant that they're like, Oh, the siblings are fighting, why can't you all get along? And, and the three siblings immediately go, We'll go find them, we get along fine. I'm just like, Oh boy, <laughs> I am sensing a parallel about to happen here. Mm -hmm. Um but for me, that really was, for me, it was the meat and potatoes of the episode. Because here's the thing about the political stuff for me. The political stuff for me needs to keep me guessing. Right. And while the political stuff is interesting to watch it play out, for me anyway, it's super predictable. Right. And so I'm not on the edge of my seat wondering what's going to happen. You know what kept me on the edge of my seat? The bossing say conspiracy. Mm -hmm. That kept me, that, that kept me, like no one could see that coming everything was just left and right punches of like just surprises and twists this is not twisty enough for me to be like oh i wonder what's gonna happen right. it's, I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out but like it's not really mind it's not really bamboozling me enough right um but the sibling stuff is great the whole like unraveling their experiences and Tenzin being the youngest child who had to kind of take the role of the oldest because Bumi as the oldest needed to like he always acted like he was the youngest right. and Kaya being you know I mean talk about that because like the interplay of the characters is so good yeah um I really love all of the dialogue scenes because I mean that's really what it is it's just a bunch of dialogue scenes of these um, you know, of these siblings venting out their frustration at each other and at their parent, well, not parents, but Aang, because um, <laughs> Katara was apparently a perfect mother. No complaints. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Apparently. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting, like, unpacking all that, basically, like, it is, in a way, trauma, but, like, that seems like a really strong word to use, but really there's no better word for it because Kaya and Bumi feel as though they were kind of the left behind children. Like, yeah, they were the first two children that Aang had, but because they weren't bend or well, you know, because Bumi wasn't a bender and Kaya was a waterbender. Right. They weren't airbenders. And so along comes Tenzin, you know, baby Tenzin, and he is an airbender. And suddenly he is Aang's favorite and they go on all these vacations together. He teaches him all about the airbending culture and way and, you know, obviously put a lot on Tenzin's shoulders, which that's its own trauma right there. And so like, it's, it's a lot. And they, like, they are all very rightfully frustrated, but, and here's, here's a hot take. <laughs> We're going to get back to the hot takes. Um, Cause I love doing. Oh, here Legend. we go. Oh yeah. I love Legend of Korra hot takes even more than Avatar ones. Um, 
people are very split. <laughs> people are very split on this whole dynamic of Aang being a parent and being a flawed one, a very flawed one. And people are like, this is mm -hmm. so out of character for Aang. He would never be this kind of parent or like he would never, you know, choose one child over the other. And I'm over here like, guys, I think you're making this out to be worse than it is. And also I think that, I don't know if I would say it's in character, but I think it's very a very real thing, the way that they depict the kind of parent that Aang is. Um, you know, he's not a perfect person. He never was a perfect person, even when he was a kid, you know? And so like, right. I, I don't know, maybe, feel... maybe it's just cause like, I'm not, Oh yeah. No, ahead. no, sorry. Finish your point. Uh, <laughs> no, I forgot what my point was. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. No, no, you go ahead. I'll think of it. I'll think of it. But like, I feel, I feel like the whole, not to use such an inflammatory word, but I am an inflammatory person sometimes, but the sort of the romanticism of like, Aang wouldn't do that. He is awesome. He would be an awesome parent is a little bit of a rage for me to make all the fanboys angry. I feel like it's a little bit like the idealization of Luke Skywalker. How dare he yep. be a flawed hero? Have any character flaws? Don't you know that by the yep. time the he reached thing. the third movie in his own finale, he was like the embodiment of everything good and right, and he made the right decision. Clearly, he's no longer a human being any longer. He's supposed to symbolize good and wisdom. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, it's it's the same thing, and it drives me crazy <laughs> how much people idolize these freaking fictional characters so much so that they strip away anything that makes them human or flawed or relatable. And guess what, guys? Aang probably himself was incredibly traumatized by what he went through, just like Luke was as a you know as a young person, and that trauma probably you know caused him to put more stock into keeping his freaking culture alive through his only airbending son. Like, I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do, but it, it makes sense, you know, like, you yeah. know, I'm, yeah, it does I, make sense. I don't know. I'm like, yeah, it, it sucks that Kaya and Bumi have this hang up about Aang and how they felt like they weren't loved by him, but we know that that's not true. We know that he loved his kids. So right. did Katara, like, but you know, when you, when you grow up thinking that, that can, you know, that resentment can grow and that, that can leak over to your siblings who are the favorite, like with Tenzin. Um, yeah. So well, um, what I think is important is that while they have sustained like inside themselves harm from the way that they were parented, it doesn't make their parents bad parents. And I feel like that's something that's really lost on this your parents are imperfect people and they make mistakes and they're going to affect you and how you choose to deal with it is important it's interesting <clears throat> that the show would depict this as something coming from characters who are so much older mm -hmm. almost who would be unrelatable to a child audience or even teenage audience watching the show but then you have to realize they are speaking to the issues that, again, the show kind of aims at a higher you know, age bracket mm -hmm. than than uh, Avatar The Last Airbender did. 
And so it's interesting that it would bring that about, not even quite saying it quite in so many words, but to, you know, basically be like, hey, uh, the, to the teenagers that are watching, you're probably mad at your parents for some mistakes they've made that maybe have kind of messed you up or leave you resenting them in some ways or criticizing them or rebelling. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have resentment against your siblings by now in your life. And so hitting upon a very important point like that, you, they really are like aiming for a higher audience right there. Yeah. And I think it was really well done personally. And it really, it really helps yeah. to flesh out Kaya and Boomy as characters, um, you know, in just these few scenes that they have and their relationship with Tenzin and each other. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really like the, the familial drama that goes on with the, Tenzin and his siblings it's very very well done in the episode well, and, and you know what is interesting about it too is when you think about the family dynamic and we've talked about this before um in a family like this it's interesting because normally the oldest child would be the one who would have all the pressure of you know parental approval and mm -hmm. am i following all the rules and am i doing what i'm supposed to be doing that's what you get and Tenzin's an interesting character because he, by virtue of the fact that he was favored, favored over his other siblings, the oldest sibling approval like pressure got put on him, mm -hmm. which is the reason why he says, I felt like I was the oldest, even though I was the youngest, because he had two things number one he was the baby in the family right. and the baby in the family is always always <laughs> preferred yeah but then he also got all the responsibilities and expectations on him of the older sibling the oldest the, the firstborn and so boomy didn't get either one boomy grew up like like a wild man because mm -hmm. he there were no expectations on him from his parents and so you see him like becoming a wild adventurer and he creates his own sort of like approval system mm -hmm. by having all these wild exploits and he's a military commander he does all these things to kind of pin medals on himself because his parents didn't pay attention to him right. so he went to go give attention to himself and get attention by acting like the baby right yeah and i actually in the family very good um very well put when it comes to boomy and I actually have this theory and I'm sure it's a popular theory, but that the reason that Boomy acts the way that he does pretty immature, like he clearly is a capable person because he's a military general and he, you know, did serve and all that, but he also acts out a lot and he's kind of zany and weird. And I think that that's because since he didn't spend a ton of time with Aang and I doubt he spent a ton of time with Katara because I'm sure Kaya spent more time with her that he spent time with Sokka, right. that he was with Uncle Sokka <laughs> all the time, and they're both non-benders. So it's like, it makes perfect yeah. sense. <laughs> so I, that's my headcanon, that like Boomy would spend all this time with Sokka, the two non-benders, and they would just chill and have crazy adventures together, and you can't take that away from me. <laughs> yeah. Probably true. Probably mm -hmm. absolutely true. Imagine who else would have loved to hear the stories about the space sword. <laughs> right. He would have eaten that up as a kid. Definitely boomy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, but it is it is really interesting. Um, again, seeing those dynamics shift and change. Um and then one of the <laughs> My boy Mako. My boy Mako still did nothing wrong. <laughs> 
getting you know, so dirty. Tara's <laughs> all upset about everything. It, and but but he's all like he's all like you know, he, do you want me to give advice or do you just want me to listen? He's doing his best, the best he can, trying to keep up with all this. Look how supportive he is. Look what a good, good man he is. <laughs> My boy, Mako. What a guy. What a guy. The light yeah. of my life in the show. <laughs> no, but it's honestly so sad. Like, his treatment in this first half of the season is so sad. that He's like, he is trying to be supportive and, you know, be a cop and, like, you know, juggle his work life, his private life, his relationship with Korra and the Avatar and everything. And I'm like, wow, yeah. And she just <laughs> treats him like shit. Uh, it's It's sad. But don't worry. I'm telling you, Mako, Mako did nothing wrong. Oh, you you won't have to feel bad for him for much longer. He's about to get so so stupid, so bad. <laughs> Very wow. quickly. Okie dokie yeah. then. Okie dokie. <laughs> well, I don't want to think about that. Right. <laughs> I was. I don't take that away from me so soon. I know. Um, but we do have the 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 meat and potatoes of what the plot line um culminates with which is this attempted they they refer to it as like an attempted assassination but like it's kind of more of a kidnapping because if we wanted to kill him they could have killed him right there um oh, yeah. you know we're I think Katara, was just being dramatic Corey, of course yeah well he's like i was almost killed it's like well the the closest he got to being assassinated was when Korra created the ice thing and then he fell from like 20 feet in the air straight down to the snow like snowmobiling is dangerous you can get hurt right exactly <laughs> and we lost all their like the attempt on my life has left me scarred <laughs> and deformed he would his dramatic ass the worst it's like dude you fell off a snowmobile relax <laughs> you had a ski accident chill <laughs> what i thought was really interesting though was that and again for me the the part where the political stuff where i'm just like oh, okay all right political stuff here we go was when they made it personal which is when Cora thought oh my gosh that's my dad doing it mm -hmm. and like I didn't care. I knew it wasn't going to be her dad under there because right. he wasn't talking. So I'm like, it's definitely not him. Um, but I like that it took on a real personal note for Cora that she felt the need to like stop him and talk him out of it. And then like, you know, you watch her resolve it like she would have if it was her dad. And mm -hmm. it's an interesting character conflict that she is put into. And then she goes back so happy that her dad wasn't a part of it. And the dude just gets arrested anyway. <laughs> No, okay, listen. That that final scene of the episode is my favorite scene in this in the uh, episode. And honestly, think just, you know, this could change now that I'm rewatching the season, but I remember this being mm -hmm. one of my favorite scenes from season 2, outside of all the Varric scenes, of course. Um Yeah. <laughs> because I did not like when I remember when I first watched this episode like I said I was with my friends and we were like watching it on the tv when it premiered and I actually cried when she went home I know I'm like I could not believe it myself like what but no I actually cried and I don't know if it's because I I was not around I was like 14 probably when this came out but like I've had that moment where you royally mess up 
something and you have to go home with your tail between your legs and just hope that your parents won't be like so mad at you or like, you know, you'll never forgive me. And then they just like instantly, you know, they embrace you, they love you. And they, and like that hit me so hard. Just like, I didn't even see it coming, but it did. The minute she started tearing up, I was like, fuck, <laughs> like I started crying. <laughs> and just like, that was such a humbling moment for her. I feel like, but yeah, it was, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. And it even hit me this time when I rewatched it, like I started tearing up and I'm like, damn it. Why is this getting me? Like, cause Cora up to this point has been such a colossal bitch, like to everyone around her. <laughs> I'm sorry, she is, and you know I say that with all the love in my heart. I, I, hey, you know what? I I I I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just letting you be the one to say it. Oh yeah, no, and I say that as a Cora lover, but she is a total bitch this this first half of the season, and this is the first time that I that I was like I see the old Cora, the Cora that we fell in love with in season one, coming through and being truly humbled and breaking down and just like you know just going to her parents, it, it reminded me a lot of the scene um, in episode four of Voice in the Night when Tenzin finds her after Amon, you know, has his talk with her and she just breaks down and cries and like he holds her and it's like really emotional. That reminded me of that. Like, you know, at the end of the day, she is just a young adult. She's barely 19 years old and she's been thrust into this war and her parents are involved. Her uncle's the one that instigated it. And she has so much pressure on her shoulders to like be neutral. But also she's super, you know, she's trying to fight for her side of the fight, but she can't. And it's just like, and now there's an assassination attempt on her uncle that she thought her dad was a part of. And I'm like, yeah, that's a lot. Like this, she needed that cry because there's been a lot that's happened in these, you know, couple episodes. And so I just, I love that final scene. And then on top of it all, you know, fucking Unalak comes in like oh you're under arrest shock face pikachu shock face <laughs> <laughs> or no what is it surprise pikachu face there we go um <laughs> yes yeah so and uh, this is just a side but for this season especially this is such a rarity in shows like this where you've got you know a chosen one type character um you know your harry potters your avatars whatever where the main character, the chosen one, has a family, has both parents. Do you realize how rare that is? It's ridiculously rare. rare. And I love that about this season. I love Cora's parents, especially her mom, um, Senna. Like, I just, I love that they have these talks together. Like when Cora comes home the first time and like she thinks that, you know, her dad has sent her mom to talk to her. And she's like, no, I just came because you guys seem like you're really upset. Like it's such a mom character. Like it's so perfectly a mom thing to do. Mm. And I just love it. I love seeing parents in media that aren't terrible, that are like good, like they're not perfect parents, obviously, but like they care yeah. about Cora and they want what's best for her. And like, I don't know, parental stuff just gets me for some reason. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm so close to my own parents. Most influential people in Cora's life, a mom, and Aman. <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, so I I really love all the family, both the family drama with, with Tenzin and his siblings and with Cora and her parents. Like I I really latch onto that kind of stuff um as someone with both parents and sisters, you know, siblings. So it's uh it's really, really effective for me personally, but I do again, I understand what you mean when you said that the writing is a bit dry, because 
yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. You could switch out any of the characters for any other character and you wouldn't be missing anything aside from Varric. Like, you, nobody else sounds like Varric, yeah. but... Yeah, um, <laughs> yes. It's, it's just, it's really hard with the episode as far as, like, rating it, too, because the parts that I find really dry and boring and predictable, like, I gotta tell you, I was literally very bored watching them. And then, like, Varix pops on screen, and the show goes from, like, a 2 to, like, a 10 in, like, seconds. And then he's gone, and it's back to a 2 again. And then there's, like, a funny moment, and it jumps back up from, like, my interest in level being, like, a 2 to, like, a 9. Mm-hmm. And then it's back down again. And then, you know, obviously the ending scene is great but like they they're like oasises in like a desert for me personally so mm-hmm. i find it hard to like rate the episode um i mean overall this one for me i'm gonna sound bad but i swear to you it's just me <laughs> trying to find an internal adjustment and be honest about how much i enjoyed it overall yeah no go for it, it it's a hard thing with core episodes because as we said before there's lots of episodes that have moments that are nines and tens but they're just moments um i'm gonna sound harsh but this episode overall like good stuff but like if one of episodes at one watch of it's probably enough for me uh it's a 6.5 out of 10 for me well that's not that bad i thought you were gonna go even lower <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh that's fair i i'm definitely gonna go quite a bit higher than that not not like to a nine or anything but i really did enjoy rewatching this episode these these two episodes um i would actually put this at probably a 7.8 like not quite an 8 either but I, I really did enjoy this episode um in my opinion these two episodes are some of the better of season two just because again I really like the all the you know family drama and the civil war I always find civil wars very fascinating because it's a very like gray kind of thing like who's right nobody right um and uh yeah so I mean I would say that they're brought down by the stilted writing of the characters um, and just Unalak being the worst, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I really enjoyed this episode. Nice. Well, in that case, I'm so glad you enjoyed it because there's a part two to it. I know. Our next episode is episode is, I love saying it this way, is season two episode four civil war part two <laughs> yes high school musical and it's the musical written, the series it's, <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, the episode is written by michael dante DiMartino. again uh him on both ends of the two-parter um but this episode is re- uh directed by a name that i don't recognize and i wanted to check him i don't think he was in on the avatar it's ian graham or maybe I'm just forgetting his name from uh, from Avatar. Nope, was not did not work on Avatar. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think that the name sounded familiar from Avatar, but it does seem familiar for Cora. Uh, so he might be one of the you know reoccurring directors for Cora later down the line. Yeah, again, interesting to to see. Uh, to see that because you know every time you get a new director you get a little different flavor on mm-hmm. the episode um i i'm undecided on whether i feel like this episode is 
I actually have a big question mark for the rating on this one because I was mm. kind of waiting for like our take on it. Um, so like a new director always throws like a new monkey wrench into it because all of a sudden you see the episode and the characters handled in a way that's slightly different than you ever have before. Uh, so yeah, so welcome Ian Graham into the Legend of Korra family. Welcome. Uh, the episode is animated by Studio Pura. And uh, the episode <laughs> aired on September 27th, 2013. The IMDb rating of Civil Wars Part 2 is, uh, again, a very robust 7.8 out of 10. Very, mm -hmm. very respectable. So lead off and take us away with those fun facts. All right. We got four more fun facts, guys. <laughs> Exciting. Um, so for our first fun fact, Korra's interrogation of Judge Hota was inspired by the television series 24 with Brian Konitsko and Joaquin DeSantos joking that Akora is a kid-friendly version of Jack Bauer. Yeah, I, I could see that. <laughs> I, I never, could see it for sure. I never watched 24, but you know why? This is just a side, but, um, the reason why is because my parents watched it all the time. And you know the countdown that it does? The dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It scared me for some reason as a kid. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Anxiety-inducing. Literally, I was like, oh no, they're watching 24. I can't go into the room. Like, I just, I don't know why. It's like, you know how certain sounds as a kid, like, they scare you. Like, the TX, uh, what is it? The THX. Yeah. Like, that kind of stuff scared you yeah. as kids. That was that scared me. The countdown in the twenty-four. That was like in between scene transitions. I was like, ah, I don't like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nothing to do with Cora. Um, somebody make somebody make the twenty-four super cut where like those transitions no. are taken out, just so Amanda can finally enjoy the series. No, please don't. Um, and then our second fun <laughs> fact is that so this one's kind of interesting. Uh, despite Studio Perot being in the animation studio responsible for the episode, members of Studio Mir, the ones who did, you know, the first season, uh, did freelance storyboarding and background designs for certain sequences, including Bolin and Eska's betrothal, the hallway fight scene with Unalak, and the blockade running of the Northern Fleet. Um, so, yeah, and you know what? I actually, I noticed that because uh -huh. the... In particular, the hallway fight scene with Unalak, it's like 25 yep. seconds long, but it's so good. It's like, there's no way that they did this. Like, it's it's literally mm -hmm. 25 seconds long, and it's one of my favorite fights in season two. It's like, I that's what was giving me first season vibes yeah exactly like it's so fast-paced so just like energetic the movement's so beautiful the lighting everything about it works and i'm like why does this work so much better than all the other fight scenes we've had so far like and now i know because studio mir did it of course <laughs> um but yeah no, that, that scene is i can't great. wait for them to come back Please, oh my gosh God. it's so good i promise it's, it's gonna be worth it uh, <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, so it, it is cool that they were able to come back for whatever reason this episode um, to uh, help out with certain scenes. And then our third fun fact is that the action sequence in which Team Avatar breaks through the Northern Blockade was cut in half due to the animation difficulties and time purposes. I'm telling you, man, Nickelodeon fucked this season. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, they really did. Yeah, it's uh, it's really sad because, you know, if you'd given them a little more money, time, it could have been much better than it is, but whatever. 
Um, and then our fourth and final fun fact is that the moment the platypus bear pooping money, or the moment of the platypus bear pooping money was initially more graphic with the network requesting that it look more like an ATM dispensing cash. Now here's the thing. <laughs> I'm actually with the network on this one. I think that it's way funnier to just have the the money come out like an ATM machine and do the pooping sound effect like somebody just like it's so stupid but it's so funny it's one of those moments just like with the laugh in the last episode where my friends and I just burst out laughing like what are we watching this is so funny um, yes yeah I, I think that making it more graphic the, the silly would have are taken so away bad. from the weird <laughs> yeah yeah taking away the uh the graphicness of it makes it funnier in my opinion um yeah but uh yeah so that's all for the fun facts <laughs> <laughs> so so i want to address the sky bison in the room immediately um so i gotta tell you i think my favorite part of this whole episode was um tenzin finding iki in the cave Mm. and her having basically a my little sky bison style party and tenzin converting to the brony side like right. <laughs> yes. it's so great because she has those great names for all the four sky bison where what is like what was the what the blueberry what what he, blueberry head he was spice head. yes blueberry spice head <laughs> I I would I would pull up to a Starbucks and be like I'd like a grande blueberry spice head please. Well, to me that sounds not like a uh, My Little Pony name, but that sounds like a Strawberry Shortcake name. Like that would be a character in Strawberry Shortcake, which I grew up watching. So like I'm all for that. Oh, see there you go. <laughs> I just loved the whole thing. It was so good, and you know, um, kind of bringing back what we were discussing a little bit from the previous episode about the whole sibling thing that that the dynamics and the, the venting there i thought that it was an incredibly creative and just so sweet way to resolve that within the characters to like yeah of course tenzin was going to sit down with iki and like discuss you know, I, I knew 100% that he was going to be like, oh, you know, you don't get along with your siblings, but I also don't get along with mine, and blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. I love that he sat down, and I'm going to get a little bit, like, very lightly psychological on this here. It must be so nice for him. Like, this is so multi-layered. Number one... This is a youngest child who didn't get to live as a youngest child, who right. had the expectations and burdens of the eldest child thrust upon him. And granted, he frames it in a very positive way mm. because he has all these happy memories with, with all the time he spent with his dad and everything. But he also must have kind of not gotten to be a kid. Right. And so you see him sit down with his daughter and he's just like, for a little while, he's like, he uses it therapeutically. And I don't mean like, oh, healing any sort of childhood wounds. I just mean that he, he had so much of dealing with his siblings and he doesn't want to be around them that he sits down. And he's like, man, 
give me some of that tea at this tea party. I hope it's strong because, man, I've had a day dealing with my siblings, too. I know where you're coming from, kid. Exactly. And I love that. I love that it's like this cathartic moment for him to, like, stop being an adult and be like, oh, I can just enjoy a tea party with a bunch of sky bison with with really cute names. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's really, really cute. Love that for him. It is. Yeah, it's. And that's exactly kind of how I was seeing it. Like, that's how it's basically framed is it is kind of cathartic for him to be able to just relax, which Denson doesn't know how to do. That's like the whole joke about him going on vacation is that he doesn't know how to relax and just kind of, you know, stop and smell the roses and enjoy life. And so, you know, by separating himself for a time from all that, you know, stress and his family members and all that, like he's able to just enjoy a tea party with some with nature you know and also help his daughter you know Iki who by the way is my favorite of Tenzin's children like it goes Iki, Milo and then Janora, Janora whatever but I do love Iki I think she's so sweet and (laughs) yeah no I the diss I know right (laughs) which that that'll be interesting later um but anyway so yeah no and I love that he's able to help not only is he able to help Iki through her problems with her siblings, but she in turn helps him not even really realizing yes. it's that she's helping him. Um, you know, I love when, you know, when Iki being the sweetheart that she is, is like, Oh, we should invite uncle Boomy and aunt Kaya. Like they're so fun. And Tenzin's like, no, let's not mm-hmm. like, they'll just ruin it. And she's just like, what are you talking about? Aunt Kaya is so sweet. And she's always asking me how I'm doing. And uncle Boomy is mm-hmm. so fun and like carefree and all that. And like, and that basically mm-hmm. reflects exactly how, you know, Janora and Milo are. And like, but she doesn't mm-hmm. see those traits. She just sees, oh, but they're mean and they make fun of me. Like, and so it's it's a really cool mm-hmm. uh, kind of mirror, um, which is very yeah. interesting. And so I really like that. And it is just cute seeing baby bison. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're super cute. Yeah, the whole thing is is so good, and you know they frame it in such a good, healthy, wholesome way. Um, it's just a really satisfying end to like the sibling arc of mm-hmm. like how he reconciles with it. And I mean, obviously, he goes back and sees them later. Um, but you know, that for me is really the highlight scene of that of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then there's all the courtroom BS. Wow. <laughs> You'd like it? Wow, dude. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm not saying that. I just mean, man, it's like it's a it's a absolute clown show in that courtroom. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, of course, of course, the actual then clowning is actually Bolin who gets money from again the gem of the season, Varric. <laughs> yes. The platypus Varric just poops out some money. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I love, that is quite a funny moment where he gives the money that's meant to bribe the judge to the wrong people. <laughs> he doesn't even realize it. And then Asami just face plants because she can't believe how stupid he is. Why didn't he give it to her? Like, she would have known what to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> give the money to the wrong person. It's terrible. <laughs> and then he keeps trying to, like, interrupt the court proceedings where he's like, I object and I declare a mistrial. <laughs> It's like, please, no. Bolin, sit down. Yes. Oh, he's he's trying. He's got the spirit. He's a little confused, but he's got the spirit. 
That's like <laughs> Bolin in a nutshell, honestly. I do like, though, how, once again, you know, the political stuff, again, for me, like, kind of predictable, kind of like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to kill them all, I'm going to execute them all. And then, of course, you know, Locke steps forward, and he's like, oh, no, spare my brother, of course, don't, don't mm-hmm. do this. No, it's not going to gone too far, it's madness, you know. What <laughs> that voice you're doing. <laughs> Ulock is so insincere. He's just like, "Oh no, of course we we, we can't do this." Oh, Ever the Avatars, of course. Are right. you William Shatner playing Ulock? <laughs> <laughs> He's no, just no. so like slimy, but he does it in this like very soft spoken. What's way. going on here? <laughs> yes. Uh, Boy, we do not use violence around here. <laughs> oh lord, he's so awful. But then, then Cora like catches on to what's going on, and in her typical Cora way, like literally hunts down the judge and threatens to let the polar bear dog just bite his head off. Which I'm like, whoa! I was, mm-hmm. I see, we're getting intense again on the show. I like this. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that scene. Like that. Again, just like with the ending of the last episode, that was where I was like, okay, there's the Korra that I remember from season one, who was like about to take out Tarlock because he, you know, he threw her friends in jail. And it's the same thing with this judge. Like he's threatening to throw her dad in jail. And she's like, yeah, no, I'll just, I'll just feed you to my polar bear dog, to Naga. Like she's hungry. And so I'm like, oh my God, I love that. (laughs) What does that say about Mm -hmm. me? I was rooting for her to kill the judge. Well, yeah, why? Because the show gets so like we've been talking about, it gets so like kind of kind of bland and kind of impersonal and kind of like let's state for the audience the political situation, intriguing as that it, as it is for people. Um, again, more so for you than for me. It is intriguing. I just again, uh, it's when the show gets intense. Mm-hmm. emotionally intense there's danger there's life or death situations like actual life or death situations it's when the character's morality starts coming into serious question that the story emphasis becomes really personal and that's when the show really picks up in the best moments in the show are is core going to actually kill this person is this person's bending going to get taken away is stuff like that you know, family betrayal is all good. You can see it coming a mile away. Political intrigue, yeah, you know, it's world building and it's interesting to see it unfold, but it doesn't have the intensity that like this kind of stuff has. Mm-hmm. The best moments. And I think that's when the show really shines because the beauty of Legend of Korra and this part I really feel I need to hype the show up after I, I must sound so critical of it. <laughs> right. Um where Legend of Korra really shines is because it's aimed for a more mature audience and because they're able to take bigger risks, I guess, with like how they're depicting the drama. Mm-hmm. It is very intense. And that's what I'm living for seeing the show. Like, I, I want to see the intensity. I want to see somebody almost get their head cut off by <laughs> Naga. Like, that's it. Right. Yeah, no. And, Actually, now I'm thinking about it. Um, so in that scene, since we're on it, we also not only get the cool, intense, you know, the basically her trying to get information out of the judge by threatening to feed him to Naga, but also he reveals that 
the what we learned two episodes ago about you know the barbarians going into the spiritual forest and like drowning it out and everything that was all planned by Unalak to get his brother banished and like and we're like oh my god this guy is the worst <laughs> like everything yeah there's yeah. also big there's also big thor and loki vibes from yeah. from from the original thor movie which actually came out like two years before this so mm -hmm. like nickelodeon with their binoculars kind of looking over at what at what disney and marvel are doing and they're like <laughs> right. hey guys let's Take let's go note. let's go to the let's go to the very nordic like ice uh and water tribes which are kind of like the norse and then we'll just have like the big brawny warrior brother and then his like <laughs> magic wielding spiritual side soft-spoken like manipulative brother and i'm like yeah 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 i see what you're doing there i see what you're doing nick it's working <laughs> tricks everyone into getting his brother exiled okay yeah sure why not let's just do it all <laughs> Literally Nickelodeon going, write that down, write that down. <laughs> yes, exactly. We see you, Nickelodeon. We we see what you're doing. We see you. So yeah, but then you know, it got, all gets really intense because at that point, Cora suddenly now knows that this whole thing has been a ruse this entire time and a manipulation. She goes and you know breaks her her dad out of the Hoosgal, and then. Of course, you know what I love about Udalak? He doesn't send cronies. He just shows up himself. He shows right. up personally to be like the, the man needs <laughs> I fooled you. The man needs to learn. He needs to learn delegation of responsibilities. This man is running the whole show himself. He like he he needs to invest in like a good henchman. Right? Like, I, I appreciate the hustle, Unalak, but come on, like, every good bad guy has minions. Like, <laughs> you could be taking notes right. from on. you know? I feel like he's that person that's, like, overly controlling with his evil schemes, where right. he's like, I couldn't, you know, like, like the, the villainy recruiter is like, now we have some very good henchmen, the best thing about having a second in command is that he's also a fall guy, um, plus you can kill them when you get angry, and he's like, no, 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 I couldn't, I can't leave this in the hands of people who aren't personally invested, I have to do everything, it's like, oh, right. my gosh, Idiot. I'll do it like, myself. I get <laughs> I get that your budget for this whole like coup is kind of small, Unalog. Like Nick cut your budget for for villains and minions too, but like come on, man, you know. Yep, that's that's about right. <laughs> but we could hire being... another voice actor to play his second in command. <laughs> right. It is it's the same voice actor doing a slightly different voice. Um <laughs> but uh yeah no but like i said i love that scene in the hallway um and that leads our our gang basically to go well so basically for setup for the hallway scene like cora is and her friends are in the prison trying to break out her father but it turns out he and the other rebels have already been moved onto a ship that's heading away from the south pole and so you know they're obviously really pissed about that. And Unalak's there being like, ha ha, I fooled you, bleh. And then we get this awesome 20, <laughs> bleh. Um, <laughs> some demon ghoul breath guy. Um, 
so- <laughs> Udalash is there like, I have waited a long time for this, my little bender friend. <laughs> Literally. Oh man, when Palpatine is more subtle than you, you know you're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, Yeah. So anyway, they have this awesome 25 second fight scene and they're able to not beat him, but just like put him out of commission for a while enough that they can get to Varric, who has his own boat, which is a hilarious joke that the reason he has the boat is to get away from his crazy waterbending ex-girlfriend. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) I need to see this character. No, because think about that. Varric is crazy. He is an insane character. So if there's someone even more insane than him that he dated at one point, I need to know who this character is. I want to see the back the backstory of this relationship. It's so good. I I really love the whole like he has the boat, but then like he has a plane on the boat, and like why do you have a plane on your boat in case the boat sinks? And I'm like, in case the boat my sinks. man, my man's playing four D chess. He's a he's a genius, right. <laughs> obviously. Literally. But he, so he thought far enough ahead that he would have a plane on the boat, but not a runway to get the plane off the boat. That's the kind (laughs) of like hilarious genius, but like also kind of idiot vibe that I love about him. Yep. Yep. The most brilliant. He has the like eccentric, eccentric billionaire, you know, (laughs) it's perfect. Yes. And yeah and then we just we get the i guess the plane we get the plane going and cora is able to run the blockade with the ship and everybody and they're able to catch up to the ship that has ton rock cora's dad and all the rebels on it and they break them out and it's very mm. quick like honestly that could have been its own episode like the breaking it's them very out of- very fast yeah. And again, it's because of the freaking time restraint and the animation budget being cut. Like they, it said that, you know, in the fun facts, I had said that this was one of the scenes that was affected by budget cuts and by production. And like, I can tell, like, this could have been, like I said, its own episode of them getting on Varric's ship and like chasing after them, running the blockade. That was basically a whole half of one of the episodes of Avatar. Like, do you remember the Fire Nation blockade mm-hmm. that they had to run? And it was like, oh my God, this is yeah. so exciting. And this is just like, it's over in like three minutes tops. Like it's the Cor- last part yeah. of the Cor- episode. Cora like activates the Avatar state, which is so underwhelming when she does it. Cause like when Aang <laughs> does it, it's like this giant shaft of light and all this power and everything. And now she just like does it so that she can <laughs> bend a little better than normal. And then she's like done. And then yeah, it's like, okay. I, I, I will say that the use of the Avatar state in the first half of, uh, or when she first starts using it, you know, because she doesn't use it until the very end of season one. But, um, mm-hmm. but I do think that the use of the Avatar state gets better. The more she uses it, the better it gets. Like she does. Oh, I don't think yeah. she ever gets like an Ang in surrounded by all the elements moment, like in the finale. But there are some pretty stunning. There's some pretty stunning action scenes later okay. down the line that involve the Aptar State, and so it does get better. I promise. <laughs> but they do really depower it these first few times that she uses it. It's like, why? Why this should be way more exciting, way more engaging, but it's not. So whatever. But it does get better. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I say that this entire season. It's gonna get better. I promise. <laughs> the studio begging us to like continue to keep watching. <laughs> literally yeah 
yeah no um, the the end of the episode is is pretty rushed it was very funny and very satisfying to finally when like you know she's uh when Eska's coming after him. I love that her, like, mascara is all, like, running off her face where she's, like, this insane <laughs> yes. bridezilla and we're just like, oh, we gotta go. Yes. Yeah. Like, Harley Quinn coming after the Joker or something. Like, <laughs> it's yeah, great. it's... That that whole... We didn't we didn't even really mention that. That's, like, a C, a C plot. Um, you, know, you got your A and B, but this is, like, the C plot of the season where Eska and Bolin like are in this incredibly hilarious but very toxic relationship where it's completely one-sided um and eska basically like proposes to him she gives him this terrifying choker which is supposed to be a take on the water tribe necklace betrothal or betrothal necklace like the one that katara has um but uh yeah no it's like it's got skulls and like ribbons and lace on it it's like very goth yeah. <laughs> it's so funny um because he tries to like break up with her he hole. tries to like talk to her about it to finally yes. finally he's like his third attempt to try to break up with her and she's like you're right we've been drifting apart but you know what would fix it <laughs> marriage and just slaps marriage. Thing around his back. and you get like this oh, literally drags him away by it so terrible but it's so funny i'm you, sorry you can you can express your joy with tears yes oh my god Yes, we're not condoning this relationship, but it's funny. Like, um, it, it's meant to. It's meant to be purely uh, comedic. It is very yeah. troubling, but it's 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 for laughs. It's just for laughs. Exactly. The show doesn't. Well, see that the show doesn't depict it in a positive way. It's a bad no. thing, right? But it is depicted in a funny way because we can't make it horrifying. Everything in the show is horrifying, right? It's like it's like a bit of dark humor sprinkled in there, and it's funny um yes but yes. uh yeah and then they all speed off on the boat away from esco who's chasing them and that's the end of the episode pretty funny way to end the episode in my opinion and i gotta die and that's our lesson learned about abusive relationships if you're in an abusive relationship and someone gives you advice to talk to them about it don't just get on some rich guy's extremely fast boat and jet ski across the pacific ocean just Literally. be gone just run <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yes. I almost forgot. Um, just a little thing, but like it's so cute when uh, Tenzin and Iki go back to the to the air temple, and um, you know Kaya and Bumi are waiting for them. Bumi, or no, I think it was Kaya. Kaya shows them a picture of them when they were younger, and it's so fucking cute. Yeah. I tear up every time, yeah. like just looking at that picture of you know young Ang, well young uh, adult Ang and Cora, not Cora. Oh my god. Katara mm -hmm. with their kids and they're all very young and I'm like oh they're so yeah. happy they're so cute I want to show about young adult avatar like with them as 20 something year olds in their prime I need that show <laughs> <laughs> are you listening guys this is the show we need yes I need it I need it I need it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the reconciliation was uh, of the siblings was great. The the photo, and of course, Iki making nice with her siblings. Um, and not to forget also uh, a scene that I really like with regard to that was was the scene with Bumi uh, alone in the oh, temple, yes. wherever it was, the avatars. And he's there talking to the statue of Aang, you know, a kind of a, hey, dad, you know, moment. And then Kaya finds him. Yes, that it's again, I almost forgot about it because it's such a small scene. It's literally less than a minute, but it's so yeah. well done. It's like there's no music, yeah. there's no grand fanfare. It's just 
Boomy talking to the statue of Aang. And, you know, he it's so heartbreaking because, like, you know, he basically just says, you know, I, I'm sorry I wasn't born an airbender, but, like, I've done my best to keep the world safe. I hope I made you proud. And you're just like, oh, my God. That's like Boomy in a nutshell. That one line of dialogue is just, like, yeah. all you need to know about him. And then, of course, Kaya yeah. being very much like Katara, you know, the mothering type, the warm, calming, mm -hmm. you know, presence. She comes and she's, you know, she reassures him that, of course, dad's proud of you and loves you and, like, gives him a hug. And it's just like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. Two episodes flesh the yeah. two of them out so much with so little. Again, they're not long scenes at all, but they're so effectively written. Um, and why can't we yeah. get this kind of stuff with the main characters? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but. overall the the episode has you know as usual a lot of strong points some good things it's got humor sprinkled into it it's got varic which is you know obviously mm -hmm. great it's got mako who acts like literally any other character <laughs> <laughs> like the, the man's full personality has just been like removed in this episode it's okay he's there he's there to jump on the plane and shoot fire that's all he's needed for really mm -hmm. um and, but again like it kind of suffers the same thing because as i said i feel i feel like i kind of pinpointed it it does still suffer from that sort of like a little bit of that dry overall like oh look it's a political plot i like that it gets more personal and more intense and personally i gotta say i feel like the way it's carried out so well mm -hmm. is like maybe a good nod to the director taking at taking opportunity to make the scenes more intense mm -hmm. um with the way that they're delivered because like the courtroom scene could have been a big oh no gasp they have all been sentenced but cora's like it really delivers that intensity where you know she threatens the judge mm -hmm. and you know that her her constant just anger about this entire thing you know the um the interrogation of judge hota um but even then like the exciting parts of the episode are like we said with the finale they're rushed and it's it's kind of it's kind of a, a tell that you know the budget the budget for the show wasn't um what it should have been and could have mm -hmm. been um so once again it's kind of like a peaks and valleys again for me uh with this episode overall i think this episode had uh a lot more like good and exciting moments especially in the hallway fight um like that i just felt like it took a little while for the episode to really get going in the start um mm -hmm. but once it did the intensity built i still am not super personally super invested in the whole oh I've instrumented a war between the northern and southern tribes, and I manipulated this to happen. I'm like, buddy, I really don't care. I just want to know, like, the family stuff, and, like, yeah, you're a really predictable villain. So, again, the, like, overarching conflict, and it's so vague, the whole, like, there's a war between people and the spirits. I don't have enough information to know whether it's actually true or not, so... Mm -hmm. At this moment, none of what he's saying or threatening has like means anything to me. So it's just a big like I don't get it. In hindsight, I guess I will. Yeah. But, like there's no tease. So Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And it's over that's totally fair, everything yeah. you're just saying. And I totally agree. Um, even with hindsight, I'm like, man, this is uh yeah. <laughs> but you know, when you come off of one of the best villains. In not just Legend of Korra, but also in Avatar, that has a very tangible 
an easily comprehended plan or like motive or whatever. Then you come to this, which is so vague, so open-ended, like nothing is very concrete until the very, very end of the season. You're just like, what, why, why are we, why do we care? This guy isn't threatening at all. And he's so blatantly yeah. villainous that it's not even fun to like watch him be a villain. Like it's, he, he's not campy enough and like fun enough as a villain, but he's also not like subtle enough for us to kind of question whether he's actually a bad guy or not. So there's just like, there, right. you're in this weird middle where you're just like, I just don't care because <laughs> you're not fun to watch. He's no, way. he's no, he's no Long Fang. He is no Aman. Mm -hmm. He is no Fire Lord Ozai. You know, he's, 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 I will reiterate just as my final point on it, that once again, I feel like this bears repeating for season two, that your story is only as compelling as your villain. Mm -hmm. And he's just not that compelling a villain. His yeah. goals are really vague. He's very transparent. Like it, he's just, he's not great. He's entertaining at times, you know, to watch him scheme, but like we know he's scheming, so it's all very predictable. Um, and when your villain isn't compelling, you look to your heroes to be entertaining. Right. And as you said, the secondary characters are literally more entertaining and get more character <laughs> development than our core group of heroes, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, not I'm not mad about that because like again, I love these secondary characters, but it is kind of yeah. very sad to see the the main characters take a back seat. <laughs> um but, yeah uh, it's it's very weird yeah but anyway what, what would you uh rank this episode then i'd probably overall give the episode again it's hard because you know there's some real real things that leave me wanting more from it but the good stuff is good i'm gonna give this one in my opinion and i really have to rate this one down to slightly just because once again like it has good stuff when I think of an episode of Korra, I really want to rewatch this. Like, doesn't make the doesn't mm -hmm. make the list of thumbs that short list. Uh, I give it like a six point nine. Okay, just a little bit higher than the last one. Um, this one yeah. I'm also gonna give higher than the last one, just by a little bit. I would give this a solid eight. Like, I think that the funny bits are funnier than the, in this episode. I really like the family dynamics. I like um, the Varric shenanigans <laughs> and the uh, the Eskimbolin. Um, you know, betrothal and all that. Like the Civil War stuff to me is not as interesting the second time around. Like I do like the the trial and all that, but I like the more, I don't know, dramatic approach that they took in the first episode, um, or I guess the first part with the Civil War story. But um, yeah, so overall I think it is better. Um, certainly not one of my favorite episodes of Legend of Korra as a whole, but for this season, these two episodes are much better than the first two episodes in my opinion like the first two opening episodes um just because at least there's stuff going on like there's a story happening even if it's you mm -hmm. know on the vaguer yeah. side we get the overall idea of what's happening so far and we are getting a lot of fun with the side characters so you know it, it's not amazing but i do like it nice real good well the thing about the episode too is that it it doesn't really give us a strong strong lead off for like what's next for our heroes so they kind of mm -hmm. like speed off into the sunset and they're like we're not gonna let this war happen but it's like okay so where are we off to next so i kind of feel like a big question mark because a lot of things that they've started kind of got like or at least appear to have gotten wrapped up mm -hmm. like they're no longer 
I mean, it's a two-parter that resolved in the part two, unless right. the next episode is part three, which I'm assuming it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, again, just kind of wondering where the show's going to go next. It's a, it's a rough ride <laughs> in some parts through season two, but we're getting through it. We're getting Absolutely. through it and uh, always have interesting things to pull from every episode. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Mill